Zach was a military veteran returning home from Iraq in 2003. When his marriage fell apart, he made a connection with co-worker Addie Hall. Would their romance change his life or would it bring it to an end? And welcome to Sentenced. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Kara. How are you today? Um, I'm okay. I'm a little disappointed in myself. Why? What, what else is new? So a few months ago, I signed up to do this marathon. Well, that's being very generous. I signed up to do a 5K. My the, the other people in my family are doing like the actual marathon part. But I was trying to set myself up for success. So I was like, okay, I'll do the 5K. I signed up in November and I was like, this will give me plenty of time to train. But guess what I have not done? Train? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just, and I even had AJ like move his things off the treadmill today so that I could go down there. So I had every intention of like getting on the treadmill today, but then I took a shower and I cut myself shaving. So that really derailed the whole thing. <laughs> When it, wait, when is this 5K? Uh, it's like the first week of March. <laughs> oh, so you've got like four weeks. Yeah, I have four. And it's only like three point something miles. So it's really not going to be anything that crazy. But Listen. every single day. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, this bitch can barely walk a mile on the treadmill without getting winded. So. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, it'll. I think it'll be fine. I gave myself plenty of time. When I signed up, I was like, okay, two hours just to be, make sure I have plenty of time to finish it. So I don't think it's going to, I hope it doesn't take me that long, but if need be, I can just walk it and we'll be fine. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of work and uh, I'm glad you're doing it and not me. Yeah, I'll let you know how it goes. I will do it vicariously through you. Okay. I'll wear a GoPro on my head and record the whole thing. So <laughs> and I'll just sit at my out. desk watching it doing this. You can't see it, but I'm doing the running motion. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what about yeah. you? I'm, I'm good. Work was a little stressful today, but I mean, that just kind of comes with the territory. Um, it's sure. rent week, so, you know, that's always fun. Yeah, that is fun. Any fun excuses so far? Um just you know the typical I don't get paid until next week kind of thing but other than that I mean nobody yet but we, rent's technically not due until tomorrow so yeah we'll see. um but I've been dealing with my youngest cat Pepper we're pretty sure she has anxiety of some sort because she'll just randomly we call it twitchy butt she gets really really low to the ground and like scurries around the house and then her butt like her butt hair is, like, up, not her butt, but, like, above her tail. Mm-hmm. It starts to spasm right there, and so we call it her twitchy butt. And Robert and I were standing in our living room having just a really funny conversation. I don't even remember what it was about, but we were hysterically laughing to the point that Robert spit his drink out, which made me <laughs> laugh even more. So it just turned into that vicious cycle that you and I got into the last time we recorded where yeah. it's, like, one person's laughing and it's causing the other one to laugh. Well, during all of that, she was sitting on top of the cat tower, and all of a sudden, she comes flying off the cat tower, running through the house, and, like, 
scurrying all over, and I was like, what is happening? I thought she just had to poop or something. Uh-huh. But she just kept doing it, so I gave her, like, her composure, little treats to help her sleep, but then she started sleeping in her litter box, which is how I know oh something gosh. is wrong. So I took the lids off of her litter box, because I'm like, you can't hide in there. Like, that's not, it's not okay. So now she's coming out more. This has been, like, three days of it. Aww. And we think it might be, she ha- might have, like, a hairball that's stuck because she's been dry heaving. She finally got a piece of it out, and she has been, like, her nose is wet. She's been feeling fine. She's eating. She's drinking. And I found this, like, it's almost like a syrup, pasty stuff, and she licks it, and it's supposed to help everything move through her system. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I'm hoping that'll help. She seems to be coming out of it and, like, being more... Because, like, she hasn't been, like antisocial with us she's been very social but she's just really like she's anxious and she can't settle like she'll sit in one spot for maybe five minutes and then she flies out of it and is on to the next so the last time she did this yeah last time she did this was like the last time we moved and we thought we thought it was just caused by stress so now I'm like what does she think we were fighting or was it because she couldn't like get her hairball out because she never has hairballs yeah, my, my cats don't either. But it's weird because she's really fluffy and, like, has long hair. Penny, yeah. hairball a week. Like, this woman is, like, always puking on my floor. But Cute. Pepper, yeah, I love it, especially in the middle of the night on the bed. It's great. Oh, my gosh. But, like, Pepper never has hairballs. So it's, I don't know if it's something going on with the hairball situation or if it's just anxiety. But she did get a little hairball out, which made me feel a lot better. So we're just uh. keeping an eye on her. Yeah, just keep an eye on her, and hopefully she's not obstructed. Um, I actually sat in, I well, I sat in on a surgery at work the other day where they did an exploratory on a cat that was obstructed, and that stuff is crazy. Well, we've been feeling her tummy to see if it hurts her or if she's got any hard parts of her tummy, and she, she just meows when we hold her. Like, she doesn't like to be held. Yeah. But she's not wincing, so I don't good. think anything's up. And she's still eating. Like it says that, yeah, like that's... once they stop eating and drinking, that's when it's a problem. Exactly. So I think it's just, I think she just has really bad anxiety. She's just she's done this before, but never with a hairball. So I don't know. Yeah, I get it, sister. They're my children. I don't have actual flesh and blood children, so yeah, I just, I just have the girls, and I love the them, and I would do anything for them. Yeah. Other than that, that's pretty much all that's been going on in my life. I swear, it's something with the weather. The dogs are going stir crazy because I can't really take them out when it's negative eight degrees outside. I mean, I can, but all we do is we go out and we go potty and we come right back in. Yeah. Um, I have to tell you, one of my applicants, guess what her cat's names are? Um, Minnie and Maxie? Albus and Minerva. Oh, I love that. And I would, I told her how your yeah, your cat's name is Minerva, but you call her Minnie. That's really cute. Yeah, it was really cute. And the Albus is the gray one, and I'm like, that's even better. <laughs> yes, that is so perfect. But she told me that the two of them are lovers, <laughs> and they, like, are obsessed with each other, and I'm like, that's oh really gosh. cute. <laughs> that is really funny, but I, I mean, I could see that. I mean, I'm sure there's fanfic about it. Yeah. People have done crazier things, so. Exactly. Um, any other news that we need to share? We had a, 
we need to correct the last episode about the Instagram name, correct? Yes. So I know in one of our recent episodes, we said that I I said that our Instagram name was just at sentenced. It's actually at sentenced pod. So I think all of our platforms are sentenced pod. Facebook is first name sentence, last name pod, because it won't let you put podcast for some reason. Instagram is at sentence pod. Our Gmail is sentenced pod at gmail.com. The only thing that's just sentenced period is going to be on any um, podcast sources and Patreon. Right. So any streaming platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, um, Samsung Podcasts, all that stuff. Correct. So I apologize. All right. Well, today it's a me episode and fair warning. Um, we will be talking about suicide and um, it's a really dark one and really heavy. So just putting that out there, if you guys want more lighthearted banter and humor, uh, this probably isn't going to be it. So are we ready to get into it? Oh yeah, let's go. Okay. Zach Bowen was born to parents Lori and Jack on May 15th, 1978 in Bakersfield, California. Yes, his dad is named Jack, so he is Zach and his dad is Jack. Uh, hopefully that doesn't get too confusing. Um, I also grew up in Bakersfield, so shout, shout out 661. Out. <laughs> Zach had an older brother named Jed, and when he was just a few months old, his parents decided to live their lives on the road. They piled into their Volkswagen bus and traveled to small towns throughout California. The Bowens eventually found themselves in Idaho while helping a friend renovate their home. While in Idaho, his father decided to go to school and become a teacher. He achieved this goal but quickly grew to hate his job, so the family moved back to Bakersfield. Once back in Bakersfield, Jack took up a job with a local oil company but became very frustrated with his career choice. Um, Oil companies are a huge deal in Bakersfield, like... My high school, I will say it, I don't care. I don't go to high school there anymore. Our our mascot was the Drillers. Oh my gosh, that's kind of hilarious. Yeah, so it was literally just like a big-headed mascot guy wearing overalls. <laughs> and we had like an oil rig like as our emblem. So our nice. high school was really cool. It was built in um, 1912, I believe. So when yeah. I, when I graduated, it had just turned 100 years old. So it was really cool. Dude, I graduated in my, I was like the centennial class. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Our slogan was, the world's not ending, we're just taking over, because that's when the Mayan calendar ended, and everybody thought what 2012 <laughs> was the end of the world, so. That's awesome. I hated it. I was like, this is the dumbest slogan, but whatever. Like, yeah. I don't care about you people, so. <laughs> Bye forever. Yeah, I was like, I graduated with like three friends, and I'm friends with now like one of them, so. Mm-hmm story of my life I can relate Jack began to act out against his family and Lori was often left alone to care for their boys Lori convinced Jack to leave his job but he would take up a job as a bartender in local strip clubs probably at teaser pleaser because everybody knows where that is in Bakersfield like it's right there next to the freeway gross (laughs) okay I do have a stupid story about this so I think it's teaser pleaser I could be wrong but there's a strip club right off of the 99 in Bakersfield and they have this big neon sign and when it's lit up it's just like these legs that like cross and stuff (laughs) 
When I was a kid, and even until, like, maybe two or three years ago, I thought it was dinosaurs. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, just long-necked dinosaurs. And I was really confused why that was, like, the mascot for the strip club. But I was just so okay with it. And it wasn't until, like, a few years ago my brother was like, those aren't dinosaurs. Those are legs. And I'm like, that, oh, that makes so, so much more sense. I but the sign it. is still there. Like, it's been there my entire life. It's just, like, this giant pink and purple neon sign. And it's it looks like just long-necked dinosaurs, like, <laughs> eating and coming back up. I mean, who doesn't love a themed strip club? Especially a Jurassic one. That's listen, just good marketing. Listen, I'm obsessed with dinosaurs. So I was all for it. Yeah. In 1980, Lori again urged Jack to find different employment, and he went back to working in the oil industry, but this time in Ojai. The home they lived in was on a small farm, and Jack was making around $70,000 per year, so at the time, that was pretty good money. It was said that Jack thrived here, and they would remain there for the next five years. With the steady pay, the Bowen family was able to take long vacations, um, and one of these vacations would bring them to Whidbey Island in Puget Sound, which is in uh, Washington. Washington State? Yes. Okay. The family fell in love with the area so much that in 1985, they moved to the island. Unfortunately, after settling down on the island, tensions arose between Lori and Jack. It was said that Jack was staying out until all hours of the night, and by 1990, Lori left Jack and took the boys with her back to Santa Maria. The move from Washington back to California was very difficult on Lori, but even more so for her young teenage sons. Zach was reportedly awkward and bashful, but really goofy. His brother, on the other hand, was said to be quiet and had a very dry sense of humor. It was also said that Zach would use his humor as a way to mask how shy he was. Um, it was it's said that he was, like, painfully shy, and that this shyness um, most likely stemmed from him being really, really tall and wearing a size 17 shoe at just oh, wow. 17 years old. I feel like that's pretty normal, too. Like, I know for me when I was younger, and I still get social anxiety, but, like, if you know me and we're close, then I think I can – I have moments where I can be funny and stuff, but I I definitely use humor as a defense mechanism. Oh, same. I am, like, the most insecure person I know, but I'm also really secure at the same time. Like – I think my insecurity comes out as overconfidence because I'm like, I'm a bad bitch and I know it. Yes. Right. <laughs> but like deep down, I'm just like, oh, I'm so fat and lazy and short and like just worthless. <laughs> but oh it's gosh, like, don't say that stuff. <laughs> but I'm also like really sarcastic and some people absolutely hate it and some people don't get it at all. So I'm like, yeah. I was kidding. That was a joke. Yeah. That's why you and uh-huh. I get along so well. Yeah. Well, and we, we're both nines. <laughs> That, that too. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> um, okay, so Zach's mother said that he was plagued with self-doubt and that he would find his own behavior regrettable and was always apologizing for his actions. In 1996, Jack was ready to settle down somewhere new, and Zach was more than happy to start anew as well. The two would go on a cross-country road trip that took them to party towns like Savannah, Georgia, and a long stint in New Orleans. Eventually, the two made their way back to Washington. It was reported that Jack loved the bartending scene in New Orleans so much, he decided to move there with Zach. Okay, so the father and the son? Yeah, so the dad and the youngest son. And then 
Jed, the older son, stayed with Lori in California. Okay, gotcha. The first few weeks there were miserable for Zach due to him and his father living in a rundown apartment on Corondelich. I honestly have no idea how to pronounce that. Corondelich. C-A-R-O-N-D-E-L-E-T Street. (laughs) Oh, is it? Is it like a French? It must be because it's New Orleans, so Corondelich Street. But you wouldn't pronounce the T, right? I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably over-enunciating all of the letters, so it's Okay, fine. so that street. Yeah, the C street. Okay. <laughs> Zach went to a public high school and was unfortunately still considered an outsider. Um, I read in the book Shake the Devil Off. This is where I got most of this information from. His mom, Lori, um, had a lot of quotes in there, and she was quoted saying that Zach called her... Once he started high school and was really upset because he was just like this outsider and he was the only white kid in his school. So okay. he was just immediately just an outsider and just very uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but mostly just uncomfortable in his own skin. Sure. So shortly after he enrolled, he dropped out of high school. However, this time he was more confident in himself. So shortly after graduating high school, Zach started to become a man And as he became a man, it was said he grew into his features and was shaping into a very handsome man with a chiseled jawline. Zach stood nearly 6 foot 10 inches and was starting to get plenty of attention from the ladies. I bet. Yeah, so, like, the book said that he, like, shed his baby fat around his face, and he does. He has a very chiseled jawline and, like, a really long neck, and he has a... He's just... He is really handsome. I will say that. Like, it's... It's a really sad story, and I don't want to harp on anybody in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a good-looking guy, and he was very tall, which I Doesn't... was one of those people that was always looking for right. a tall guy. So I was going to say, that never hurts. Yeah, no. During the summer of 1996, he started working odd jobs on Bourbon Street, one of which was serving to-go drinks on the streets of the French Quarter. During the summer while working, he met Lana Shupak. Lana was born on September 21st, 1969, in Florida, and was 10 years older than Zach. Hmm. She started stripping in her late teens and made a career out of it. When she met Zach, she was stripping in Dallas, but made a trip out to New Orleans, but wasn't living there yet. Once she met Zach, the two dated, and she would eventually move out to New Orleans, but only temporary. However, in 1997, the two found out they were going to be parents. Aww. Kinda. Okay. <laughs> uh, Zach is only 18. She's 28, so not okay. the best of situations here. Sometimes I just get, like, lost in the narrative and forget, <laughs> like, what we're doing here. So. I know. <laughs> I do the same thing where I'm just like, oh, meet cute. But then I'm like, wait, no, yeah. it's not. <laughs> Zach was still living in his father's apartment, and on March 10th, 1997, he wrote a letter to his mother letting her know he was going to be a father. Um, In his letter, he goes on to tell his mom that he regrets meeting Lana and that she was on the pill the whole time they were together. Oof. He mentioned that he was stuck and was going to stay in New Orleans to be a daddy. Lori would later say that she wasn't upset with him for getting someone he hardly knew pregnant, but for his self-deprecating tone. Okay. During her pregnancy, Lana was very distant with Zach um, because she felt he was too young. And on July 13th, 1997, when Lana went into labor, she didn't even call him. 
Oh, my gosh. Um, she called a friend <laughs> to take her to the hospital. What? Yeah. Zach actually didn't find out um, that she had the baby until weeks later. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It's not... doesn't have a great start. Ugh, okay, take back my... Aw. <laughs> Zach took to fatherhood like a champ, though, and was excited to have Jackson in his life. And his name is Jackson, but with an X, and I think it's really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, from sources I found, they called him Jax, which is even cuter. That is cute. And also... Very, like, Sons of Anarchy, Jax Teller. I never watched that show. Oh. I, like, know who you're talking about, but I never mm-hmm. watched it. But also, like, his dad's name was Jack. And his name is Zach. Zach. And then, and okay. It's Jack's son. Jack's son. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Anyway. That's funny. Um, Zach became a bartender in the French Quarter, which offered health benefits in order to help pay for him and Lana. A few months later, he moved Lana and Jackson into his apartment. And shortly after, Zach proposed to Lana, and they set their wedding date for October 10th, 1998. Zach oh my started... gosh, 10-10. Okay, yeah, 10-10. I saw that, too. No, that's just my parents' anniversary. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, 10-10. Like, yeah. Yeah, cute. Uh, Zach started working doubles to help pay for the wedding. The wedding went on without a hitch, and the two were expecting another baby. When they got married, Lana was already pregnant, but they announced their pregnancy after their wedding. Okay, so pregnant with her second child. Correct. Okay. Their daughter, Lily, was born on June 12th, 1999. (laughs) And you were born in 89? Do you want to say that here? Should yeah, I don't care. That's fine. 89, yeah. So she's, you're exactly 10 years older than her, his daughter. My fellow Gemini. <laughs> the birth of his daughter really changed Zach, and in the fall of 1999, he enrolled in a GED program, and on March 29th, 2000, he would earn his high school degree. Two months later, on May 12th, 2000, yeah, sorry, I thought I wrote May 29th, 2000, but I did write March, and I had it correct, and I just doubted myself so hard there. <laughs> but indeed, two months later, on May 12th, 2000, Zach enlisted in the Army for an eight-year term. So, like, right after he graduated, or got yeah. his GED. Okay. Yeah, like, literally less than two months, like a month and a half later. Okay. And 12 days after that, on May 24th, Zach became Private E1 Bowen. Zach was going to make a better life for his family and made sure that Lana would never have to strip again. Zach shipped off for basic training in June 2000, and it was said he had a surprisingly smooth time getting acclimated to the routine. And by October 2000, he successfully completed boot camp. Shortly after, Zach was shipped to a military base in Gießen, Germany, I believe is how you pronounce that. I'm not 100% sure. Mm, Okay. Zach was a gypsy at heart, so packing up and moving was a dream come true for him and Lana. Zach's work had him assisting in humanitarian relief to Kurdish refugees. And on June 10, 2001, Zach deployed to Kosovo to help with a peacekeeping mission, and he was assigned a gunner role. His comrades said that Zach was a breath of fresh air and was often keeping them awake by singing classic rock songs. It was also said that he would, like, just play, like, air drums, like, because he's in the gunner position, so he's in the top of, like, the Humvee or whatever Uh vehicle they're in. And, I mean, you don't have to have your hands on the gun the whole time. So he was often just, like, playing air drums and, like, getting everybody going and keeping them awake. And 
Because they're patrolling around for, like, 12 to 14-hour days. Like, Jeez. they were very busy, so he was just, like, that breath of fresh air for everybody. Aww. Soon after, the platoon was assigned the task of uncovering mass graves of ethnic Albanians and confronting violent Serbs. In the early spring of 2001, Zach handed some candy to an Albanian girl. The next day, they found out she had been killed by the Serbs for interacting with an American. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they they didn't say exactly how old she was, but somewhere around the age of, of Lily, his daughter. Oh no, he must have felt so guilty. That and like, this is like his first real experience with, not war, but, you know, just military crimes and like just the the frustrations and like that overwhelming sense of like hopelessness that you have mm-hmm. and helplessness because you can't do anything right. really this event pushed Zach over the edge and he started to become really closed off his um comrade said that he was no longer his jovial self and stopped singing his classic rock songs and stopped playing the air drums and he just really started to close off from the rest of them so there was, like, a noticeable shift in his demeanor. Yeah, as soon as that interaction happened and they found out that she was killed, Zach was a different person. Oh, gosh. Lana was still living in New Orleans and was working in bars and caring for their young children on her own. She found herself too tired to work on the Army paperwork that would allow her to live on base in Giessen when Zach returned in the spring. Zach worked long days and spent his off time consoling Lana by phone. So he was just mentally exhausted mm-hmm. every day just overwhelmed exhausted from work and from life i can't even imagine i can't either zach returned to Giessen on may 24th 2001 and he earned a promotion shortly after which really seemed to lift his spirit so he was just kind of getting back into his more fun loving self but during the summer zach had developed a severe case of hammer toe from his combat boots so he started wearing tennis shoes around base. His hammer toe became so bad, doctors recommended surgery. And in July, he had the painful surgery, which was thankfully successful. He was issued medical leave for a few weeks and went back to New Orleans to see his family. Okay. Once he returned, him and Lana argued over her not completing the necessary paperwork to move her and the kids to Germany with Zach. So Zach rushed to complete the paperwork, and in August, the family finally moved to Germany. Life was great for the family there, and the family of four really seemed to thrive. Okay. I know, it's like... I oh, say that nervously. <laughs> it's great. Everything's so great, and it's, it's just going to go downhill from here. After 9-11, everything would change for the young family. Security was increased on the base immediately, and things began to change internally. However, Zach wouldn't be deployed to Kuwait until early 2003. It's said that during this period from 9-11-2001 to him deploying in 2003, the base was very secured off, but all of the the European... Um, people in the area so all the germans in the area and like because it was said that there were the german people that lived there obviously but then there were other people from that escaped europe were living in the area too and it was said that they were all super supportive of the americans on base and were frequently like asking if they needed help with anything and Mm -hmm. really trying to take their minds off of the devastation that had just happened 
Um, but like I said, Zach wouldn't get deployed to Kuwait until early 2003. While deployed, his marriage and relationship with his children began to suffer. During his time in the army, Zach would find himself on the front lines of the Iraq War. He had lost many comrades, and his spirit began to fade once again. In November 2003, Zach was able to return to Giesen. Lana was excited to have Zach back, but she said he had changed, and it was harder to find the man she fell in love with. Zach was also also suffering with physical pain and mental anguish. He would see many doctors, psychiatrists, and was recommended to receive a general discharge. Zach returned to his barracks um, in, I think it was October of 2003, um, and told Lana, we are out of the military. Lana pressed for more information, but Zach didn't want to go into details. This resulted in a huge fight, and Lana ended up packing up and moving back to New Orleans. Oh, whoa. Yeah, it was like, she'd asked him why he got just like, why they were out of the military, and he was just saying, you know, it was the discharge, but he wouldn't tell anybody what the discharge was for, and it was just a general discharge. So he wasn't honorably discharged, which he just felt was, like, a huge disappointment, and mm-hmm. he was just, like, this big failure because it, it wasn't an honorable discharge for him. Oh, I mean, I yeah, I can understand that. I do, too, but it's just, like, it sucks. And I guess with a general discharge, you're not guaranteed all the benefits. Oh, so that's a huge bummer because he invested so much time into right. it and it sounds like it really took a toll on him physically and mentally oh a thousand percent did and I guess Zach like wouldn't talk to anybody about any of his military experience like once he returned home his friends family like he was very just quiet and reserved about that side of him so Lana moved back to New Orleans but she left the children in Geeson with Zach because they were attending a really good school there Zach returned to New Orleans in December 2004, and Lana met him at the airport to pick him and the kids up. When they were all together, she broke the news that she started seeing someone. Zach knew their marriage was over, but wanted to know where he and the kids would go. She said the kids could live with her, and he could stay in a hotel. So he did. But Zach wouldn't stay in the hotel long, and he, Lana, and the kids would move into an apartment in New Orleans. This didn't mean they were back together. Um, Lana just wanted to make it easier on her and the kids, but she knew that Zach didn't see it that way, and he wanted them back together. Okay. He, like, even, like, wrote this really long letter to his mom saying, like, how excited he was, and he wasn't going to use proper punctuation or anything like that because he was just so excited. And, like, he says that in his letter. Oh, my god. He's just, like, all stoked because the family's back together. But, unfortunately, they weren't back together in that sense. In the spring of 2005, Zach returned to bartending at Hogg's Bar. While working here, Zach met Addie Hall. Addie was a 29-year-old with dirty blonde hair. When Zach was done with his shift, he would pass the reins to Addie. She got along with Zach, but not so much with the other women that worked at the bar. Zach loved how goofy she was and was immediately attracted to her. Addie was born January 15, 1976, and was considered a free spirit. Unfortunately, she grew up in an abusive home and would find herself in multiple different abusive relationships over the years. Oh, bummer. Yeah, she she had a really, like, really tough past and didn't have a lot of friends either. Um, so in order to cope with her past traumas, she drank heavily. Mm-hmm. 
Her, her close friends also thought she could have been struggling with an undiagnosed bipolar disorder since she could get violent and aggressive against her friends. Oh, gosh. Okay. She was said, though, in a positive note, to be a poet and a great seamstress. Ooh. Um, a lot of her pictures, I wonder if some of her clothes were things that she made because they look very, like, boho, like, homemade, like, just these, like, That is so fun. Ones. Yeah, like. I love that. She definitely had a, a fun sense of style. Very unique. Yes, 100%. She was frequently icing out friends, but those that were loyal to her stayed close. Addie stood just over five feet tall, so her and Zach were an odd pair. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I'm five two and a half, so I'm like, I can't imagine somebody being, like, ten inches taller than my husband. Yeah. That would be weird. I'm, like, trying to think of it right now, because my husband's... Robert's, like, six foot. Mm-hmm. And AJ's, yeah. what, 6'2"? AJ is 6'2", and I'm 5'7", so I feel like we have the perfect distance between us. Like, I, not too much to where, like, I have to work too hard if I want to kiss him, but not, <laughs> like, I can still wear, like, wear heels if I want to. Oh, same. Like, I can wear the highest heels in, like, the universe, and I'm still shorter than my husband. Yeah. It's great. I love it. I even wore flats at my wedding because I was like, I like our height difference. I think it's yeah. cute. Like... I'm just so tiny compared to him. But I'm really mm-hmm. not. I mean, he's not, like, gigantic. But, I mean, he's so tall. But, anyway. yeah, that is quite <laughs> a big difference. Five foot and he... Because, like, that's almost two feet. It didn't say exactly how tall she was. So, she could have been, like, five one, five two, But still, he is over a foot and probably, like, a foot and a half taller than her. My gosh. Yeah, almost... Yeah, like, a foot and a half. Yeah, a little more. I wonder what the temperature difference is. <laughs> Stop it. You're so dumb. I could ask you the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. There's always those two friends where one is like really short and the other one's tall. <laughs> um, my best friend in fifth grade, she was like six foot and I was five, two and a half. And she and I were the best of friends. So we were such an odd pair because she's so much taller than me. Yeah. And now we're not friends anymore because she got real weird, so whatever. (laughs) She's not listening to this podcast. It's fine. (sighs) Anyway. (laughs) Back to the story. That can stay in. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) The friendship would soon turn into a romance with Hurricane Katrina. The two would remain in the French Quarter during the hurricane in Addie's apartment and would throw candlelit dinner parties for their friends. The apartments in the French Quarter were built on higher ground, so they were able to avoid the flooding. They were even said to have sex in the middle of the empty streets. Ooh. Uh, There's tons of pictures of them in bathing suits, camped out on the streets in New Orleans. Um, It was said that they had, like, just bonfires going all the time, and that they would, like, go around to all the local bars and, like, get all of their booze and, like, have just, like, these crazy parties and then there's, like, all these pictures of them with all these stray cats. And so I don't what? know if, like, the cats just gravitated towards them because they were the only humans left providing food. Um, but they would just, like, pit, like, put together meals and, like, they just made the best out of a horrible situation. Yeah, it sounds like it. So they, they really thrived here. Um, and at one point, the police came in and tried to get them to evacuate But they, like, threw a huge fit, and they were like, you know what, fine, you can stay. So they were allowed to stay during the entire hurricane. They were never evacuated. Oh, wow. 
Um, But after the hurricane, when people began returning to their homes, the relationship would start to get toxic. The two were often seen partying, drinking, and doing drugs. Their romance was being fueled by drugs and alcohol, and they were constantly searching for the next adrenaline rush. It was reported that a friend of Zach's, who was referred to as Squirrel, was a constant source of cocaine. Ew. No idea why he's named Squirrel. Like, there was no reasoning for it, and I don't know what his real name is, but there you have it. Hmm. It was said that Addie wanted Zach, but didn't want the responsibilities of his children and ex-wife. Lana wanted Addie to meet her face-to-face before allowing their children around her, but Addie didn't want Zach visiting with his children. This would cause the arguing to get worse. The two became violent towards each other, but often during blackouts to the point that neither would remember where the bruises came from the next day. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So this was like a constant... toxic cycle it sounds like cycle of drugs alcohol abuse but it's that like we went through so much together we are survivors we're supposed to be together i mean as somebody that was in a toxic relationship for three years it was just this constant cycle of everything's great and then it's not and then it's abusive Mm -hmm. and then you break up and then you miss that person then you're back together everything's great and then it's not and you just go through this circle right over over. and over Mm -hmm. and over again until you finally break it and for me it took three years yeah other people takes longer other people doesn't take as long and other people don't ever find their way out of it right and it's sad and it's because I was I've been through something similar too and once you're on the other side, you, I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But you just reflect on it and you're like, this whole relationship was so toxic. And yeah, you- and that's, that's the hard part. Especially when drugs are involved and alcohol, like, it just gets so much worse. And thankfully, Absolutely. like, just give a little back history of, like, my situation. I dated my ex, I started dating my ex when I was 19. And... He was 25, so he was six years older than me. And he already had a drug problem, was going to rehab, all this stuff, but he didn't stick to it. And it was just this constant battle of, like, him lying to me, me finding the drugs, and then him, like, gaslighting me to make it seem like I was crazy. Which, Mm -hmm. when we were dating, the term gaslighting wasn't as popular as it is now, Like, the term gaslighting, like, everybody knows it, everybody uses it, and it's, like, a really trendy word to say now. But back then, I didn't know what that meant. Right. And so, hindsight is 2020, but, I mean, it was just, it was like, oh, that's not mine. I don't know what you're talking about. Or, like, the straw that really broke my back was at the end of our relationship, and everything was going great. Like, we had four months of just, like, bliss of being in a really happy relationship, and I found he would smoke crack or, like, whatever he was smoking out of oh. light bulbs. Wow. And I found one. And so I came out of my garage and I threw it at him and it shattered all over the ground. And he was like, Ugh, I don't even know what that is. Like, you, I, wh- I don't even know. I can't tell because you threw it okay. at me and it broke. I was like, I'm not stupid. You're not stupid. We know what this is. Like, right. I'm done with you. And then, like, a week later... I, we were driving and it was just like, nothing was happening. We were driving to go get dinner. I was driving, of course, because this man never drove, if you can even call him a man. 
And we were, I don't even think we were talking. I just looked over at him and I was like, I'm done. Turned the car around, dropped him off at the house. I stayed at my mom's and I was like, I will be back tomorrow to pick up my cat and the rest of my stuff. Mm -hmm. And the next day I showed up, I grabbed Penny. I grabbed all my stuff and I saw him one other time. No, two other times after that. Because, of course, a week went by and we were kind of trying to work things out. Well, I still had access to his debit card. Sorry, this is a really long tangent, but <laughs> I, I'm going to go. No, off. it's important. <laughs> if you, know, you, know, you never know who out there is listening and this, they could benefit from it. Well, because I was constantly being told by my mom, like, it's a bad relationship, don't do it. But, of course, like, I'm going to defy my mother. I was a young 20-year-old at this point. So. Right. Anyway, so, like, a week later, I still had access to, like, our ring system. I think it was through AT&T, but we had cameras, not, like, the doorbell thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and I had access to his debit card, so I could still see his transactions. And... I saw him, like, out in the backyard with these dudes that I'd never seen in my life. I was like, who the hell are these guys? Well, then I saw that he was at a local um, pub, and so I was like, this man is not trying to make a difference. Like, he is out drinking right now. What the hell? So Mm -hmm. I had my brother in the car, who I think my brother was, like, 17 at the time. So we mob into this pub, and, like, my brother stays in the car, and I confront him. Like, the balls that I had. Damn. At this age. Like, I would never do this now. I walked in there. I was like, who the fuck are these two? He's like, they're my friends. I was like, I've never met them. So what kind of friends are they? I was like, you and I need to go out back and have a conversation. And so we're standing there at the side of this building. And he's just going on, 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 on. And I was like, dude, I'm done. I slapped him across the face. Busted his lip open. I walked away. I saw him a month later. Because I had to return, like, his dad's rosary to him because I had it and I felt bad about having it. I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure it went back to him. Oh, he was in tears. He missed me. And it was, like, this whole thing. And I was like, yeah, I'm already seeing somebody. And he goes, it's that guy from the flower shop, isn't it? And I was like, yep, which <laughs> is now my husband. <laughs> so. And now, yeah, now you're so happy and you guys have the best relationship. But I know what you mean because when people gaslight you, the... It's so, the toxicity around it is crazy because you actually start to believe them. That happened to me in my really toxic relationship. I found two little tiny baggies. I know what's in these baggies. I'm not an idiot. And when I confronted him about it, he started laughing and he's like, that's so funny. You think I'm on coke? You think I'm doing coke? That's hilarious. Oh my God, Carrie, you're so dramatic. And after a while, like you start believing them. You're like, okay, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't do that. They're telling me the truth. They're not going to lie to me. It must have just been the house sitters. It must have been left from the people that lived here before us. These are the kind of things that you start to believe in, which doesn't make any sense. Because if it was here before we lived here, why have I lived here for two years and I had never seen it before? Well, maybe it got stuck somewhere. Maybe this, maybe that. You really start to believe that stuff because that person has... They're so good at it. They're so good at gaslighting and manipulating. They know what they're doing. They're not stupid. Yeah, and that's, it's just a defense mechanism for them because they don't want to face what they're doing. Like, my ex was really good at crying on demand. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying a man is a pussy by any means for crying. Like, if you need to cry, you need to cry. But when you use it as a weapon against somebody that cares about you, like, it's just so telling and it's so damaging. Like, I was ruined for a long time. Like, I even my husband, like, he is 
so patient with me and I love him so much. And like, even still, like there's things that come up where I'm just like, I can't believe I still have this baggage and it's been six and a half years. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's still there. It's still there. And it probably will always be there deep down, no matter how much better it gets, but it's still, it's, it's really hard. Yeah. And getting out of a toxic relationship is really difficult. And this tangent happened because we were talking about the cycles (laughs) of, a toxic relationship and so you know again hindsight is twenty twenty. you don't usually know about it until afterwards and you can reflect on it right but I mean if there if if we can shed some light on what you and I have been through I think that there's a potential for people out there that are going through something similar to recognize that and to say maybe this is bad maybe this is a red flag yeah, I wish, you know, I did have somebody in my life, my mom, she was always telling me that, you know, that it was very similar to the relationship she had with my father, and, and, um, of course, I wish I would have seen it sooner, but had things worked out the way they did, or didn't, like, if, if I had left sooner, probably wouldn't be with my husband now. hmm Like, everything happens for a reason, I exactly. wholeheartedly believe that. And I do, too, and I feel like you have to almost... Go through that to find the person that you're meant to be with to look for the qualities that you want to see in a person and have similar values to that person. I mean, if I would have stayed in that relationship, there's no way I would be here today. You and I probably wouldn't be friends. I would be on a whole nother path of self-destruction because I wasn't happy or healthy in that relationship. I probably wouldn't have the job that I have right now. And I wouldn't even have the opportunity to be recording this with you. I would be in a completely different headspace. Yeah. And that's scary. And it's, it's, it's so easy to, you know, reflect, like think about that and kind of spiral and like Mm -hmm. really make yourself feel guilty. But I mean, you and I are both sober people. So it's like, it's easier now, like for us to really like look back on those things. When I was with my ex, I was sober at that time too. Like I have never done anything. And so for two people who are in a relationship, like for example, Zach and Addie, the two people we're talking about right now who are partaking in these activities, like it's very difficult to have a clear headspace to realize that something is wrong. So if one person wants to seek help, the other person might be dragging them down. I'm not saying that that's what happened in this relationship, but when two people are addicts and alcoholics, it's there's the potential for them to continue to drag one another down. I mean, misery loves company, unfortunately, and they might not know that that's what they're doing, and they might not be intending to do it, but it's kind of just naturally going to happen. Right, and I'm a fixer, so my whole mentality was I can fix this person and make them a better person, and that's also dangerous because then they still drag you down. You may not be partaking in their activities, but, I mean, you kind of become an enabler at some points, too. Like, I sometimes enabled my ex, and I didn't mean to, you know, but I also would sit up until 4 a.m. outside of his drug dealer's house waiting for him to get done scoring whatever he was doing, and... Mm -hmm. It's just a cycle, and it's really exactly. it's a really difficult cycle to break, and so that's that's why we want to bring you these stories is to hopefully help people get out of those those vicious cycles. One hundred percent. Back to the story. 
The two would frequently break up and get back together. During one of their separations, Zach frequented a gay bar and started a relationship with a male real estate agent. Zach confessed to Squirrel that he would let gay men perform oral sex on him and that he was open to a relationship with a man. Zach begged Squirrel not to tell anyone, but news shortly broke to everyone in the French Quarter about Zach's boyfriend. Mm. Addie was furious with him and started taunting him with homophobic jabs. Oh. At a later date, she took his phone and called all the women in it and told them he had AIDS. What? Yeah. Uh, she preceded this by deleting all the contacts on his SIM card. Addie was angry with Zach, and her life was spiraling out of control. She was about to lose her apartment, and she needed to find a new place fast. She reached out to Zach to help her pay for the deposit. So the two went apartment hunting, and on October 2nd, 2006, found the apartment at 826 North Rampart Street, above the famed Voodoo Temple. They were able to pay for the apartment with cash, so the landlord, Leo, handed them the keys that day. Um... It's important to note that I'm pretty sure Zach and Addie, although their relationship was on and off at this point, I think this was during an on point and Addie used it as an advantage to get this apartment because she was literally about to get evicted. Um, and Zach was working like two jobs at the time and had plenty of cash on hand. So she definitely oh, knew what she was doing here. So probably like a manipulation tactic, just get the apartment for now and then deal with him later, even though she didn't foresee them being together long term correct yeah but she was pissed like she was so mad at him but she still knew that she could get something out of him still you know and unfortunately the drugs and alcohol probably didn't help the the thinking here right on october 4th 2006 just two days later Addie asked leo to rewrite the lease and to remove zach from it because she caught him cheating on her with a man by the way she is divulging all of this to her landlord okay Addie Which continued. people do, by the way. Listen, the amount of stuff I've been told from people in my office, I'm like, all right, I guess we're spilling all the tea today. Jessica. <laughs> Hasta la pasta. <laughs> Sorry. We inside have, joke. It's an inside joke, everybody, but it's okay. You, we'll get around to telling you guys at some point. We got all the time <laughs> in the world. Addie told him she would be a good tenant and she would take care of the apartment. Leo quickly hand wrote a new lease and they both signed it. Five minutes later, after Addie left the office, Zach calls Leo and asks him about the lease he just signed with Addie. Zach commented that she was kicking him out and Leo said he didn't know that was her intention. Zach abruptly ended the call. That day, the couple would continue fighting. Zach was angry with her for kicking him out and taking away a safe place for his children to visit him. Later into the night, the fighting turned physical. Addie not only went in and removed Zach from the lease, but Zach is pissed because now he doesn't have somewhere to have visitations with his children, which rightfully so. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I think this is before a lot of tenant laws were in place because this is before the 2008-2009 recession. Okay. Um, and so I don't think, and also this is Louisiana. I'm in California, so the laws are significantly different. Right. Um, so I don't think there was a law in place at the time that made it so every party had to sign a roommate release form. Okay, that also, makes sense. 
Also, it was a handwritten lease, so I don't know how much validity that has, considering it probably wasn't notarized. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, you could at least get it notarized. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think he did. Okay. On October 17th, which is my anniversary, 13 days later, New Orleans police received a phone call from the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. They had found a man's body on the roof of their parking garage. When police arrived on the scene, they found a mangled body that had clearly fallen from a great distance. On the body, they found dog tags, a key, and a note that said, police only. Oh, oof. It was said that the dog tags and the key were in a small bag tied to the pants of the body um, and not actually physically in the pockets. Oh. The note read, quote, This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend, Addie, in the oven on the stove and in the fridge along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself no the keys in my right front pocket are for the gates call leo watermere to let you in zach bowen oh no so obviously the body found on the parking garage roof is that of zach uh it's just gonna get worse from here sorry oh my gosh okay Oh, that's so tragic. Police immediately rushed to the scene and were horrified by what, by what they found. It was a warm day in New Orleans, but the temperature in the apartment was set to 60 degrees. That's freezing, considering that, like, during the summer, we keep our AC at, like, 68, and that's cold. Like, I have to have a blanket. So, 60 yeah, degrees is that real is cold. that is very cold. And it's hard to imagine, too, the AC even getting that that low. If I did that in my apartment... It would break within, like, a I know. <laughs> That's like, what I was thinking. Or like, freeze over, yeah. Yeah, that happened all the time. We're at the property we worked on together. It's so hard not to say the property's name, because I'm always just like, oh, this property, but I can't say I it. I know. <laughs> but all the time. And it was, it sucked, because the, it was on the inside of the units, too, where it would freeze up, and so we'd have to open it and let it thaw out, which caused a lot of, like, water damage. Yep. <sighs> it was a nightmare. Um, so NOPD reported the apartment was in complete shambles. There were beer cans covering the coffee table, uh, to the point that you couldn't even see the surface of the table anymore, and boxes of junk everywhere, which makes sense considering they had just moved into this apartment. Yeah. On the walls, Zach spray-painted multiple messages. These messages read, I'm a total failure, I love her, look in the oven, I'm sorry I couldn't finish, and please call my wife. When police went to the oven, yeah, could you imagine? Like, this literally sounds like it's out of a horror movie. It does. When police walked over to the oven, it was spray-painted with silver metallic spray paint, and it said, don't look. On the stove, there was a pot, and inside was a severed head, but it was burned beyond recognition. In another pot, they found hands and feet... And in a roasting pan in the oven, they found burnt arms and legs. During their investigation, it was determined that the limbs were seasoned with spices and there were cut up potatoes and carrots on the counter. Finally, in the fridge, they found a torso. In the fridge? In the fridge, in a plastic bag, um, was the torso. Oh my gosh. 
yeah, like, if you look at the pictures, um, it's really, it's really sad. Like, it's a white oven, and it's just literally just spray-painted, don't look, and it's, like, obviously the apartment is a disaster all around them. That sounds horrific. Yeah, I, I don't want to be a cop ever. Like, I love investigating and, like, being a detective and, like, being nosy, but, like, I don't want to have to deal with dead bodies. Ever. No, 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 no. I've had to deal with my fair share at work and the smells they leave behind, and I don't mm-hmm. ever have to want to see one. Do you remember that one that they were going to make you try to go in and check on? Yeah, that I think about that all the time because that was a very traumatic event, and for me to have to go in there when we knew without a doubt that there was a body in there and that it was self-inflicted, that's something that I would have never gotten over. So I didn't, but yeah, the, um, the dispatch people wanted me to go in there. And it's like, I understand why they wanted you to do it, but it's like, you're not going to go in there and cut somebody down. Like, no. And it had been several days and it was to the point where from outside the building, you could you could smell it. So for me to go in there, and it I like it could have caused more damage. Like I could have potentially like made the situation worse if I went in there and did that. Right. I don't I don't know. Yeah, thankfully like the one that happened um when I was actually living on site, the police were there and they went in, but as soon as they opened that door, like the smell just hits you. Mm-hmm. And I was like Oh my gosh, like I, that's the only time I've ever smelled a dead body. And, um, her poor dog was in the unit the whole time. Like, and she'd been in there for over a week and it's just, it's It's traumatic enough. Like I immediately started crying because I was so horrified and saddened by the fact that she'd been in there over a week and then somebody finally called to do a wellness check. Yeah. Like, I hope that if I'm not responded within like 24 hours, somebody's looking for me. Yeah. 100%. I think I have enough people, like, either my mom... Well, I obviously have a husband that I live with, but if he killed me... (laughs) But if something... If he did something, then, you know, I'd hope that within, like, at least a day or two, my mom would be like, um, where the hell is Caitlin? Like, I haven't talked to her in, like, two days. Yeah. Or I would be like, Caitlin hasn't sent me, like, any cat memes or... (laughs) Or anything weird about our friendship on Instagram, any stupid reels. (laughs) There's something wrong. While police searched the apartment, they found Addie's journal, but the last few entries were actually written from Zach. The first entry read, Today is Monday, 16 October, 2 a.m. I killed her at 1 a.m. Thursday, 5 October. I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. And another entry read, Halfway through the task, I stopped and thought about what I was doing. The decision to halt the first idea and move to plan B, the crime scene you are now in, came after a while. I scared myself not by the action of calmly strangling the woman I've loved for one and a half years and the desecrating of her body, but by my entire lack of remorse. I've known for forever how horrible of a person I am, ask anyone, and decided to quit my jobs and spend the $1,500 cash I had been happy until I killed myself. So that's what I did. Good food, good drugs, good strippers, good friends, and any loose ends I may have had. I didn't contact any of my family, so that'll explain the shock, and had a fantastic time living out my days. It's just about time now. Oh, man. Um, so in the book I read, it was said that during this time between October 4th and October 17th, 
Zach went to work, um, but he was very cold and didn't speak very much. And at one point, his friends were convinced that he was actually going to get fired. Um, but he did end up quitting his job. So it was just this, unfortunately, self-deprecating mentality that he already had from when he was a child mm-hmm. combined with obvious signs of PTSD that went untreated. Um, I think it just, with the drugs and the alcohol, it just built up into this point where he just unfortunately snapped. And right. I don't think that during all of this, he was even remotely, remotely lucid. Like the fact that he's writing in somebody else's journal is telling enough as is. Right. And I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but it almost sounds like he was in some sort of psychosis. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's it's sad. And unfortunately in society, we don't really allow men to express how they're feeling. And especially back in 2006, like... Men didn't express how they were feeling. They didn't want to get help for anything. Seeing a therapist was frowned upon. And even to this day, like, people are like, oh, you see a therapist? What are you, weak? And unfortunately... No, there's, like, there's such a bad stigma around therapy. But honestly, therapy is such a great resource. Even if you have past trauma or you battle depression or anxiety, anything like that, any sort of psychological disorder, yes, therapy will help you. But it also helps... Just regular people deal with regular emotions. It helps you learn about yourself, your thought process, and how to navigate any situation, even if it's work stress. Anything that regular adults deal with on a daily basis, therapy will help you with that. Yeah, I mean, it's never a bad idea to seek help, whether you just need to talk to somebody or you have a lot of repressed emotions, like, if you see if you go to therapy or speak with a counselor, you are not weak. If anything, you are stronger than most people because you have the wherewithal to get the help that you obviously either feel like you need or that you just you just want to talk to somebody because sometimes right. it is hard to talk to people in your life because you don't want to divulge all that information. And sometimes you don't even realize that there is something going on until you're in therapy and then you start uncovering these hidden emotions that you've like repressed and then you can work on them and you can move on and you can have a help happier healthier life sorry that was a struggle for me to get out (laughs) it was kind of a tongue twister so it's okay (laughs) so thankfully um although her limbs were seasoned in the pots and in the roasting tray um zach's autopsy did reveal that he did not consume her in any form okay Um, So I think that kind of shows a little bit more of his mentality as well. I think he just kind of, I think he killed her and then that triggered something in him. And then he kind of just went on autopilot where he was just like butchering her body and like serving it up. Cause that's just like, you got meat in the fridge and that's just what you do with it. So, I mean, obviously like, I'm not saying that what he did was okay by any means, but I do feel like. Unfortunately, they were both victims here. And I feel like this is one of those situations that we oftentimes hear about people in court will try to play the psychological card or they're mentally unstable. This is one of those situations where he was extremely mentally unstable and he did not know what he was doing. Right. 
The apartment has since been turned into a tourist attraction and part of the New Orleans ghost tour. No. Yeah, so you can still go there. And I actually found a blog from somebody named Delaney from 2021. Uh, They said that that the apartment appears to be frozen in time and they included pictures as well. Um, Tourists have turned the oven and the fridge into shrines. So the oven is adorned with cigarettes, cash, coins, alcohol, just laying on top. There's, like, pairs of sunglasses. What? Um, yeah, it's, and it's the same exact oven. What, is it the same physical oven? It's the same exact oven. They just, they just cleaned it? They just cleaned it. And then, I mean, I, I acknowledge that he, he killed himself, and so there's obviously no court or anything like that or no sentencing, but... I mean, does that not need to be an evidence that had human remains in it? I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure it's the exact same oven because if you pull up pictures of the oven from the crime scenes and the oven in the the pictures, it's either the exact same oven or they got an exact same oven to put into the apartment, which either way is not okay. Well, and I find the latter hard to believe because that doesn't seem like something they would necessarily prioritize doing is buying a new oven when it, when no one is using it, if that makes sense. From a financial standpoint, they would probably just clean it, but I that just seems really tactless to me. Well, I mean, I think because it was such, like, it was a messy scene, but I think because it was such an open and shut case, it wouldn't surprise me if police left the fridge, the stove, anything else inside the unit because I have heard stories of like a crime scene taking place they don't take everything no like they'll leave furniture and stuff they just take the stuff that's like they feel important that's why they take pictures right but like people are left behind to clean up the mess like half the time like yeah hazmat will come in and do some of their work but I feel like if it's a private residence they probably don't take as much care to really clean up the scene or I mean, what evidence do they need? They know who did it. Yeah, I guess it, it just seems strange that they would... I, I feel like, I guess, I just would hope that they would treat that with more respect. It wouldn't surprise me. We're humans. We're awful, awful creatures. Uh, it's, that's... I mean, back in the early 1900s into the, early, into the late 1800s, I mean, murders would happen. They would prop up the bodies in the house they were murdered in or let people... Like, the, is it the Velisca house, the axe oh. murders? They would let people tour the house. Like, the bodies are removed, sure, but, like, the blood was there, the beds were still there, people could pay to tour the house. Like, they don't... The Lizzie Borden house, I mean, is the best example. These people were That's murdered true. there. And what did they do? They hung up pictures of their dead bodies on the wall so people can see where his head was bashed in with an axe. That's very disturbing. Yeah, and that's probably why it's one of the most haunted places in all of America. Like, the house is fucked. Like, you could still see the stains and everything. And then, like, the tour guides will walk you through and show you, like, how, like, the axe swung and hit the oh wall. Oh, my God. Like, there's, like, the axe marks in the wall still. They never covered them. Like, uh, it's, see, it's, I don't like that. I, don't I, I just feel like you need to be respectful of the people that died, especially in these horrific ways. It's, it's icky. It's just it is. gross. Like, it is. I love ghost stories. I love 
I don't love ghost hunting. I don't want that shit coming home with me. Um, but I like going to, like, supposedly haunted houses and, like, like places, I should say. Not really houses. Like, I've gone to a haunted prison and, like, I've gone to Alcatraz a couple times. I've mm-hmm. gone to um, Preston Castle, which was a, a school for boys. But they do, like, a haunted house, like, attraction through the basement of it. And, yes, people were murdered there, but they don't. They're not sitting there, like, basing the haunted house attraction around the murder that happened there. And this murder also is something that is very tragic. And, of course, all murders are tragic. But this is just, I mean, beyond gruesome and horrible. And these victims, their families are still alive. Yeah. Like, this wasn't that long ago. No, this was 2006. he He has children. And so imagine that, imagine the children going to school and hearing, oh, I went here, like, this is where your dad killed his girlfriend, like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's, it's gross, and it's, I mean, this was in 2021 that this person wrote this post, so the, the apartment is still available. They were supposed to renovate it and rent it out to people, unfortunately, that never happened. The Voodoo Temple did close, um, but the apartment is kind of reaching a point of disrepair, like, the paint leading up the staircase to the apartment is peeling. The bathtub is dirty. The apartment just looks, like, dingy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person that wrote this blog, Delaney, didn't report any ghost activity, but she did say there's an overall sadness and heaviness in the apartment. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, Zach left behind his two children, Lily and Jackson. Lily would be 23, turning 24 this year, and Jackson is 25, and he would be 20, he is turning 26 this year. Mm. I couldn't find any updates on them, but I'm sure they're staying out of the media. I did find an old Instagram account for somebody that kind of looks like Zach, and his name oh. is Jackson. I don't know if it's him, but he has been inactive for a few years on that account. Sure. Um, but it could have been him. And if it is him, he turned into a handsome young man. Um, Zach also left behind his parents and brother and Addie, who was a free spirit. And although she had a bad reputation of pushing people away, she meant a lot to those few that she held close. So it is a really, really tragic case. Um very sad it's just two people who came together in a rough situation and stayed in a rough situation i mean they were they were nasty to each other but they loved each other at the same time right and that's a really it's a dichotomy that you don't want to be in no 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 definitely not um, so let me pull up because I do have some resources I want to reach you guys. Um, so I know we were, you kind of mentioned a couple times like a voodoo temple and the story and this is off topic, but I saw this meme and it was like, if somebody like, no, someone has a voodoo doll, can you put that shit on a treadmill? And I cannot <laughs> so I have to say like, seriously though, like this is my chance to mention it. Like if you have a voodoo doll of me, put it on a treadmill cause I'm behind. I'm like, do I have any personal belongings of you and I could just throw that bitch on a treadmill? Like, I feel like, though, she would get stuck under the treadmill and then you would just be smushed, and I don't want that. Ugh, yeah, I have a fear of, like, my hair somehow getting, like, caught. (gasps) Me, too, like, in a propeller because I watched Piranha, like, too many times. I love that movie, but... And, like, all the Friday the 13th movies. Yeah. 
I'm always afraid of um, escalators because of Final Destination. Oh, is that why Leo's so afraid of them? Because every time we're at the airport and there's an escalator, he freaks out. I don't know. Has your dog watched the Final Destination movies? I don't know what he does when I'm not... <laughs> Could you imagine? He's super paranoid and it's because he's just watching Final Destination and a bunch of horror <laughs> movies while you're not there. Yeah, like, I have, like, this, like, fear, one, of pool drains and, like, spa drains of getting my hair caught, mm -hmm. and two, of getting my hair caught in, like, a propeller or even, like, caught on a roller coaster. Yes. But, of course, I have long hair, so I'm just, like, free-balling in the wind with my hair, but still. <laughs> yeah, what a weird little tangent that was. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so... Now that we've lightened the mood, we're just going to give you um, some phone numbers for resources. Um, so there's going to be a lot of things thrown at you. We will be sure to put these in the show notes so it's a little bit easier to access. Um, but if you retain information better by being told it, then here you go. For the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, you can call 1-800-273-8255. If you believe that someone else is in danger of suicide, call your local law enforcement for immediate help. So just call 911 and report it. Um, you can also do a welfare check on somebody. You could just call 911 for that. Like, I know a lot of times if you call 911, they'll redirect you to uh, the non-emergency line. But still, if you don't ever know, just they can, you can call 911 and they'll just redirect you. Because mm -hmm. you never know. It could be an emergency. Right. For help with mental and or substance abuse disorders, you can call 1-800-662-4357. And finally, for the National Domestic Violence Hotline, you can call 1-800-799-7233. If you um, feel like you need to escape your situation right away, you can look up your local um, battered woman shelter and mm -hmm. go to them for any assistance. Um, also, tell people. Tell people. Yeah. Because my biggest mistake was I kept everything a secret. My family knew something was off. Like, they always hated my ex, but I never told them what I went through. And to this day, they are still finding out things about him and about, you know, certain events that happened. And it's a lot for them to take in now after the exactly. fact. Um, I kind of wish I would have told them sooner. I tried to tell his family, but unfortunately, they would rather protect him than some girl that his their brother or son was dating. Right. Um, so if you really feel like you are in a dire situation, don't be silent. It's really difficult not to be, but try to tell whoever you can. Exactly. And we have said it before, but we're going to say it again because this is important stuff. File a police report. You can do it anonymously. You can do it without pressing charges, without the other person knowing. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, if you feel like it's not impacting you too much negatively, just think of the next person. Think of the next victim and at least get the paper trail going. That way there is a backstory with that person and the next person that they go to. Either it can be stopped or that person can be helped. Exactly. So with that, we want to thank you guys for tuning in today. Um, Kara kind of gave you all of the socials at the beginning of this episode, but I would like to mention again, the Patreon is live. We don't have any content on there quite yet. Um, we are still working on that. We have a couple of posts on there. 
we will be posting on there while we're recording episodes, right before we're recording, while we're doing research. So just so you guys can kind of get like a taste of, you know, what we're working on. Um, so for example, I posted that we were recording this episode tonight. You won't hear it for another like what, two weeks? A uh, week and a half. Week and a half? No, two um, weeks. I lied. <laughs> How dare you lie? <laughs> they don't um, know where we are in time. So you kind of got to know in advance what we're working on. That way, if you really want to do your own research, you can. Um, but yeah, if you want to send us your listener tales, you can just email us. We're always open to feedback and getting to know who's listening to our podcast. We found out that we have a few listeners in different countries, which is really exciting. Yes, we're so excited that you guys are listening to us. And please leave us a five-star review. Um, write a little short little paragraph about what you like about the podcast. It goes a long way. We really appreciate it. And then we can just always continue to make these episodes better for you guys. Yep. So with that being said, we will see you guys in the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.